2: This is the Tribune Audio Network.
3: My name is Patrick Clark. I'm on an American road trip, traveling across these United States of America into the presidential libraries, museums, and more along the way. It's a modern day journey, cross country, into our shared American history. Join us as we look into the lives of the first families and last stops and stories that make up this nation. You never know what we'll find when we go digging into the National Archives and who will meet next? These are the Presidential Libraries, Museums, and more that might surprise you. Hello again, everybody. I'm Patrick Clark, and I'm Teresa Pauly, and this is Presidential Libraries, Museums, and More, the podcast. And today we're talking about George H.W. Herbert Walker Bush. That's Dad. That's the Dad. He's our forty-first president, and we took a trip down south. Teresa, you are our news operations manager. You you kind of help uh, coordinate all these trips.
0: Right, right. We uh, figure out budgeting, how much money we can spend, and mm-hmm. how much money it's going to cost to get down to where you're going. And mm-hmm. uh, you've this one was a, was a, a little different.
3: It was a lot different than some of the other others that we'd visited because it was really uh, it was kind of happening in real time and uh, you know it was history was being made basically as we were going there, um, but we stopped at his library and museum, which is in College Station, Texas, and it's a big, massive like Ronald Reagan's in Simi Valley.
0: It's a big complex, and this is on the campus of Texas A&M. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Land is what they like to call it down there. Aggieland. Yeah. Yeah. So we're on the university. Is it is it in the middle? Is it the centerpiece of the university? Is it
3: it kind of butts up to it? It's it's adjacent to it. it. Texas A&M is a giant university. They've got their own airport. Uh, oh. you, they've, it's a huge location out there. And you're talking about
0: Texas. You Everything's big in Texas. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah.
3: And, and this is no exception to that rule uh when you when you come into town in college station it's a nice college town a big town a lot of a lot of students there uh but it it kind of winds you around and make you make your way to this building and it's interesting cuz all these presidential libraries and museums some of them, there's a similarity somewhere in there you'll see oh that's that part of that building might remind me of uh Gerald Ford's uh. or or Jimmy Carter's for instance is that on purpose or I think sometimes they try and they try Tied and design it down down there. Yeah, yeah. but um, it is it is a, f- a fascinating place and well worth it to understand a little bit about our American history.
4: We are in College Station, Texas. Uh, we are actually on the west side of uh, the Texas A and M University campus,
3: and this is
4: the George H W Bush Presidential Library and Museum. We were dedicated in November of 1997. It's approximately 69,000 square feet. housing over 100,000 artifacts, uh, two million photographs, hundreds hundreds of hours of video, um, just everything about the life of our 41st president and his family as well. You'll see to the right is the presidential limo. This was the limo that he used during his presidency and you'll see information here about the Secret Service as well. You got the limo, Marine One, Air Force One. So basically presidential transportation and uh, very important.
3: This is no ordinary car.
4: No, this is a Lincoln presidential edition actually. <laughs> it was used in his inaugural parade. This is just a car, but over here you have information about all the presidential transportation and the Secret Service, a little bit about what they did it as well. And you have an Air Force One, Marine One, And uh, it was always unique. Uh, One of the things that I heard about President Bush is, um, you know, whether it was his staff in the White House or the people protecting them, that he always knew everybody by name and he would know like about their families too. So uh, it was just a unique thing. Like he was was that person that you can go up to you and he knew your name. This was a plane similar to what he flew. Yeah, it's called the Avenger Torpedo Bomber, and it, it, it's an actual plane. It's not the same one he flew, but is the same type of plane he flew. People have asked me; they're like, "Is that the plane he flew?" I'm like, "No, that one crashed." But this is the same plane that he flew in. The, um, it's it's amazing to think somebody at 18 years old would be in this large plane, but he, but he did, and he was a very successful uh, airman. And um, you know, as a, as this portion of the exhibit just shows. You know, he was one of the youngest naval pilots. He joined right at 18, um, you know, after seeing Pearl Harbor. That really inspired him to join and to serve. And that's when really his public service began. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. He was uh, shot down uh, while uh, performing a mission over Chichijima. He had a, you know, bomb um, a certain target, and he was able to do that. But then his, uh, the plane was pretty much shot down. And uh, he was at sea. And then he was actually rescued by the USSS uh, Finback. So uh, we have a video down there where it shows his rescue. The, target,
5: the communications center on
4: the island of
2: Some somewhere about halfway down the run, I was hit. And you could feel the plane you know, go push forward like that, up and forward. And then suddenly it was all engulfed in flames. For his bravery under fire,
5: in keeping with the highest traditions of the Navy, Ensign George Bush
4: received the distinguished flying cross. This is the Fidelity. This is the Fidelity boat. This is actually one of the boats here. And President Bush uh, would spend his uh, summers in Kenny Bunkport. With family. That was the one thing. Every year in the summer, uh, he would always spend time in the summer and have family gatherings in Kenny Bunkport. And uh he was an avid, love love the uh loved the ocean and he was an avid sailor as well. So he would love going out on the seas and uh we have this very popular. People love it, and they ask me, Is it real? I'm like, Yes it is.
0: The bushes are you know just uh to be greatly appreciated for all their their
6: work, and everything that they did to make uh, not only uh, Texas a better place, but uh, the United States a better place, and as well as uh, the world.
3: Two people we heard there from, uh, a woman named Gloria, who just stopped me. She wanted to share her her thoughts on President Bush at the very end. But the gentleman we heard from also, that is David Anaya. He is the Director of Marketing and Communications for the George H.W. Bush Library and Museum. And David told me a story that when uh President Bush, number 41, was in office, he was a young man, David was, and he signed up for the military because he thought President Bush, his service to his country, was such an outstanding model that he wanted to kind of emulate that.
0: Wow. And that what I take away from that, too, is in this, again, it's just me. That's my way my brain thinks. But George H.W. Yes. And maybe even W. But there... You know, he's president, okay, one term, you know, kind of uh, you, from the, I don't know, I just thought never really anything that really floored me, right? Mm-hmm. But then again, he was sandwiched in between Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton, who were two of the most charismatic presidents sure. we ever had. So he, you know, easy to be overshadowed on both ends. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
3: he faced a lot of uh, issues in his, his term in office while he was there, and, and it, it it's a fascinating his public service, you know, b- being uh, being a member of the military, being former head of the CIA, he was a congressman, he was a vice president, you know, all these things before he got to
0: office is pretty impressive. Very and actually, I mean, join the military at eighteen? Yeah. Eighteen. Because because of
3: Pearl Harbor, January seventh, nineteen forty one. He wanted to fight for his
0: country after the Japanese attack. Pearl Harbor. Wow, and that's the the plane then that they re- reference in there that he's talking about? Yeah. I mean, that's not the plane, of course, because right. he was shot down. Yes,
3: yes. But what's interesting, there is film, the USS Finback is who picked him up after his bombing mission, right? He's an 18-year-old kid and one of the youngest pilots during World War II, and you see this plane, which is a, a same kind of make and model that he flew. It's like a semi. Imagine oh. a teenage kid Flying a semi through the air, they have film in the library and museum of him being rescued <laughs> after his plane was shot down, and that's incredible. You think about, uh, I, to me at least, I, you know, a teenage kid, he he made his mission happen,
0: right? And he and he lived to tell about it. Yeah, because there's an interview in there where mm-hmm. he, that's what we heard there too, and the, it. Again, when you go there, you see all these different things that you learn about, yeah. and one story that you told me ba- about afterwards when you got back then and they were talking about the boat, oh, the fidelity, the fidelity, yeah, okay, and you're here I'm envisioning I don't know a sailboat or something, but you said it's like a, a like a cigarette boat, yeah, it's a big it's a big motor like boat a big with a speedboat nice,
3: big engine, and in fact, y- you know when you're president, you have secret service detail around you f- for the rest of your life, basically, right, yeah, and uh he had the need for speed, and he would, <laughs> he, would, he would take his boat and go, and the Secret Service would be trying to keep, catch up with him. He'd want to go tour And this around.
0: wasn't, like, right after he got out of office. This was just a few years ago. Yes, yes, very active. You
3: know, this is a man who was uh, jumping out of planes, parachuting in his 90s. How this all, you know, we talk about Barbara and, and George being married for 73 years. How this all started, this trip, was uh, I went down to cover the funeral, for Mrs. Bush.
0: But that wasn't how you, why you were going in the first place.
3: No, Rig- I mean
0: originally yes. it was going to
3: be a trip down to see their son's library and museum in Dallas. But she passed kind of unexpectedly. They didn't they they didn't think she would pass away first. And her funeral was almost a test run, so to speak, for when he would go.
0: Yeah, you almost wonder. I mean by the stories that we hear about her she was what that was the nickname the enforcer the enforcer (laughs) was that her? the kids had that name for her or Uh everybody the kids did yeah because he was
3: out you know running for office or or wherever it might be and she kept the home running and she had to be mom and dad sometimes
0: oh i bet yeah and i bet that i mean you, you know you always hear these stories afterwards but nobody expected her to pass first right and i remember we had your whole trip Ready to go to get down to see George W. the Mm -hmm. son, forty-three. Yes. yeah, and um, and then she fell ill. Mm -hmm. So I remember we were thinking about, hey, you know, what if? But then she just she passed. Yeah, very suddenly. Yeah, really. I mean, she had been sick, but they we didn't. I don't think anybody public didn't know. Right, and.
3: then it was a big thing, and I think it was a big thing because she they both in a way were kind of I feel like America's grandparents, so to speak, absolutely, especially
0: her, yeah, I think especially her people looked at her differently, almost you know afterwards it was she was always the iconic you know the the pearls the right gray silver hair, yeah, you just you looked at her and you it reminded you of your family of your grandma, maybe or you know then. The way she carried herself, everything about her, yeah, so when we were there
3: what you would do is for people who wanted to pay their respects and and come, they would meet at this first church and go through this big, long line. it was down the street, around the block, and this went all night long until six a m in the morning and then and people would have to go through secret service, through, uh, you know, security to make sh- sure everything was um, on the up and up. But everyone I spoke with was willing to do that. He was a great
0: man. I can't think of a, a better better thing I could do than, than pay my respects on this day.
2: To be a part of history for a great man who adopted Texas as his home. And my daughter's a graduate of Texas A&M and um, love him for that he emulates what the university stands for, and he was a great president, and the love affair with his wife
6: for 73 years is an example that my children can look up to.
2: It's
3: worth waiting in this line?
6: Oh, absolutely. We would have waited uh, seven days if it was required, right? Correct? Yes, Yes. and uh, so we're very, very proud, and as we came to pay our respects to the president.
2: It's worth every
3: minute of it. We have we have met many interesting people and find how strongly people believe in what our country is doing
0: and just the civility and the kindness the Bushes represent. We, we live here, uh, but we originally come from China. Yeah. Uh, just want to show our respect to the president. I think uh, uh, he is one of the most popular president U- u.s. president in china a lot of chinese people love love him 41 was a special president
3: you pay your respects um, um yeah there's a little bit of a line and you have yes. to go through security <laughs> and ride the bus and all that but it's worth it
4: absolutely 100 percent worth it i love president bush i love what he represented i love that he w- uh chose to be a Houstonian. Uh, i love that um uh that he represents a time of decency, of civility and integrity. Uh, I'm a Democrat, uh, but um, I still have great love and affection for George H.W. Bush.
3: When you were in Houston for this, I, wondered, I forgot to mention to you, you we, our media staging and where everyone went to get in line was uh, the Second Baptist Church just down the street. Right. That, I
0: remember this was quite a production, right?
3: Yeah. And I've never seen so many police officers, Texas Rangers, Secret Service—you name it. There was everybody. Every, you know, every branch of the military service was involved in this. And you took those bus rides, and, and you just went, you know, just a couple of miles, if even that, down to St. Martin's Episcopal Church. And for Mrs. Bush's funeral, uh, we were feeding back to St. Louis material for both stations, KPLR TV and. KTVI, and when I was done, I put
0: all my gear away, and I just wanted to take part in it. Which I thought was really cool. That you, I mean, it had to be so moving to see all of those people. That's what I think these, I'm usually talking about presidential libraries, but the, the funeral, it's something that really does unite us as a country, I th- I think. You know, I mean, I, I know whenever, we, of course, we've worked in news for decades, but... Mm-hmm. You know, you you have it on every TV, and I think that everybody watches. I mean, outside of a newsroom as well. Yeah. It's something that unites us, and it's to hear those people that, so they wait in line seven days. It felt like the most American thing I had done
3: (laughs) in a long time, and I felt so proud to be there, to be able to represent our stations in St. Louis and to be there and to be able to tell this story of history unfolding. And, you know, it was almost a who's who when you when you saw the video the people who they you know this was both between her funeral eight months before his and then his funeral and we got a chance to talk to some some of their friends people you might recognize like say the oakridge boys
6: you know i I read a thing in a paper just this morning where the houston news was saying that the oakridge boys and the bushes spent time together every year since 82 I don't know that 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 is exactly true, but we have spent a lot of time over the years. Very good friends. Very honored to be here today. Barbara Bush is just a great woman, uh, a great American, a great patriot, a a great lady. And to be in that service today, it's where I wanted to be. It's where we wanted to be. We had a show last night. We took a private plane in here to do this. We're flying right back out in a few minutes to do another show tonight.
3: About on Air Force One, you guys sang one time uh, Amazing Grace to Yeah,
6: it was 1992 after uh, George Herbert Walker Bush were out on the campaign trail riding on Air Force One, and he knew he was going to lose the election. And the story goes, and it's been chronicled in about eight books, I think, but George W. was on the flight, and he came back to us and said, guys, Dad's really down. He, he needs you. And he took us up to the Oval Office in the front, and we, uh, we sang Amazing Grace for the President. And uh, it, was a, it was a teary moment but it was a great memory. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Well, it was very important because we also were neighbors and uh, we were friends. And uh fact, like son, Neil, was one of my tennis partners. And uh, and they were just, just great folks. Though. And uh, I didn't care if they came from Midland. They were nice folks.
4: <laughs> uh,
5: for, for me, turned into something that uh, was very deep and personal, and I got to be with them at so many events all over the world, as uh, riding on their coattails, so to speak. Uh, they've made a profound difference in my life, and I just already, just minutes after the service, I'm uh, I'm just thinking about, about her and how much we're going to miss her. She wasn't afraid to speak her mind, but she had that golden touch, that Barbara Bush touch that would inspire or motivate people to help create change and make a positive difference in lives.
3: Favorite memory, a fond memory? There's
5: so many, I mean, I've, whether it's been, I've been you know lucky enough to be on some cruises with them as family cruises to Greece and a couple of times and at some special birthday parties for 75th, a state dinner honoring their 60 year anniversary. I mean, it's been a lot of special situations. Maybe my favorite one uh, was in 2005, President Bush, and President Clinton were teaming up together on tsunami relief efforts. And together they raised a billion and a half dollars, and they developed a friendship. And uh, they decided they wanted to get together socially in the summer of 2005, after months of traveling and stumping and and raising money and doing some wonderful things to help people. Uh, I got invited to be their quote-unquote intermediary, so uh, I got to tag along for a couple of days, a couple of nights. Everyone stayed there at Walker's Point and Kenny Bunkport. And the first night we went out, no one knew, the world did not know, the media did not know that this friendship had spawned and that they would get together just to hang out as buddies. And a small group of us, about 10 of us were at dinner and Mrs. Bush was sitting to my left and she nudged me as the first course arrived and shot me a look and said, you know, it would be nice if you proposed a toast to these two guys on this extraordinary occasion. But She wasn't just suggesting it. She was looking at me in a motherly way like, you should have already done this. It's what the look suggested. So of course I pushed back my chair and uh, I raised a glass and uh, improvised on the fly about what it really is. It's a a statement to the rest of the world about our country and how great it is and how uh, civilized we can be in our democracy that two former political rivals can actually become friends and put the, whatever their philosophical differences are aside. And I said, soon the world's gonna find out and they're gonna look in awe, not just at your relationship, but this country that we can operate that way. So here's a, raise a glass to the two of you. And I sat down thinking, you know, I did that pretty well on the fly. And a, as, as as Mrs. Bush would do, she just kind of looked over me like, it gave me like a reserved nod of approvals. Like, you know, I, I felt very proud of that moment because you didn't want to do anything uh, to disappoint her.
3: So that was Joe Bonsall of the Oak Ridge Boys, a good friend of the Bushes. And they had shared many, um, uh, many memories. And we want to thank the Oak Ridge Boys for, for providing that clip of them singing, just a little bit of them singing. We also heard from a neighbor, just a random gentleman I spoke with who, you know, was, was there. And then, of course, Jim Nance, the, uh, the broadcaster right answer. yeah what great stories yeah 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 it's nice to hear those personal stories I, um but from everyone i talked with that's what it was they just seem like average people
0: it makes me think about going back through my life and people that you know like your friend's parents mm-hmm. that's what, i mean that's just what i envision my friend's parents that you know you had that connection with or your own parents too yeah
3: yeah uh, you know they're why I had gone down initially, uh, wound up covering Mrs. Bush's funeral, and then I don't think anyone realized that it would be eight months later that, that President Bush would pass,
0: but their love for one another, uh, it, it almost seemed like they went together, I mean.
3: Yeah, yeah, and, and so so her funeral, like I said, was kind of a test run with the military, with everyone involved, with with the city of Houston, where they lived, and and um, so when it the news broke that he had passed away, we decided this is history. We should cover this. Yeah, we had to go. Yeah, yeah we had to. Faith, family, friends—that was the motto that the Bushes lived by.
0: It sounds like they truly did. Yeah, yeah.
3: they have. You can buy a magnet in the in the gift store there, <laughs> <or Yeah>. the <laughs> gift <laughs> shop, with that motto on there. And, uh, they led by example.
0: That sounds like they had a lot of really close friends that, and everybody felt a closeness with them. I mean, that was, that were at the funeral, folks that came down and
3: yeah, and make that,
0: that journey. That state funeral was,
3: you know, there are multiple parts. You had the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. They were, uh, their home was there in Houston, and the, the uh, initial, the, the, the finality or the ending of it was there at the Bush Presidential Library and Museum, his, his HWs, in College Station. And that's where their final resting place is for, for President Bush and his wife, Barbara. And
0: Robin, their daughter that died? At
3: that's right. Three
0: years old, did you? Yeah, say? she yeah. had
3: leukemia. and and uh, huh. yeah, and so, But to get him to his final resting place was a process that was about 10 years in the making
2: so the locomotive was so there's the train which is all the parts and the locomotive which is the thing that was named so it's the george bush 4141 locomotive locomotives by federal regulation need four numbers in their in their nomenclature so you have to you have to have four digits so 4141 made the most sense we had a previous locomotive in the with a 4141 so we had to go through the federal regs to change what was the 4141 to this one. And I think the new, the one that was 4141 is something like 1846 now. My role was to help communicate what was going on to the media. And uh, it turned out to be such a really epic event, my my job, it would, the, the event really transcended what I was there to do. Union Pacific engine will travel through several towns. Starting in spring, it will be carried to the campus of
1: Texas A&M. Well, Tom Lang's one of our successful alumni. Of course, we're always proud of the accomplishments of our successful alumni. One of the things we try to do is connect students and alumni and, and provide for our students examples of the types of work they can get, the, the types of experience and accomplishments and just interesting lives that they can aspire to. When the president made the request to have a funeral train, we of course said yes right
2: away, but after the euphoria of the yes comes all the work. So a great opportunity to work with the Department of Defense, um, the Bush family, the Bush Foundation and Texas A&M, as well as all the communities along the 70-mile route from Spring, Texas to College Station. President Bush, obviously, his Navy service to the country well documented well documented. Uh, our train crew um, was handpicked. They were both Navy veterans. Uh, one served under President Bush. Another was in the Navy, but not during President Bush's tenure as Commander-in-Chief. But they were both, uh, the conductor and the engineer were both really proud to be part of that train and part of that special day.
1: Well, one of the things we see in the funeral is uh, it operates as a kind of ceremonial media event. And the fact that it was a train, which hadn't been used for a state funeral in 50 years, reminded people of the past. And so at a time when our politics are so fraught and everything seems chopped up by social media and we're all paying attention to our own little worlds, it's good to be connected with the past and to think about continuity and how traditions continue. And so you found people gathering around their television sets as well as around train tracks, because it was a way of connecting with tradition, with continuity, and of paying respects.
3: This train, it's a celebrity. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I think I'm going to talk about two things here. So first, I think the reason my view is that the reason the Library Museum opened the very next day was in line with the president's view of service right and so uh, why let's make it let's make this available to people there here so very much in line with his life and his life of service Um, the 4141 locomotive is kind of a celebrity of its own now we um, you know we did not try to commercialize or be opportunistic about this this was a very uh, a very uh, formal a very somewhat nostalgic but really important um, uh, un- uh, state event right state event so our job was to make sure it went well and so but now with all the visibility for the locomotive and with it's not just the locomotive it's because of President Bush's uh, popularity right so people want to see it And and we when we took it back to Omaha so much of everything about this trip was planned to the, to the bottom, to, the, to an inch, right, of things, yet we did wing it when we brought it back to, locomotive, to the locomotive back to Omaha for storage and had, a, had an event in town in Omaha you know, for our employees to see it, for the, the residents of Omaha to come see it. Thousands of people showed up with a day's notice and uh, just took pictures and had a good time uh, talking about their memories of President Bush in some way. We want to do the right thing for the future of the George Bush 4141 locomotive. Um, right now, it's in storage in Omaha. We're not taking it out and running it anywhere. We're keeping it uh, pristine, and we, because of the president's life of service and the way, uh, the way the funeral train was so well received by Americans, we just want to make sure we make the right choice with what we do with in the future, and that's undetermined at this point. Normally, when we're running freight trains and we're running into industry, uh, you know, yards and stopping and unloading whatever the freight is we're unloading, we have a couple of feet of leeway for a couple of hundred thousand tons of freight. And you, you know, if you think about it, a local a train moving at fifty miles an hour normally takes about two miles to stop. So, think about this: for the Bush funeral train, we had only a two in, two inches of leeway to stop the train because it had to be. On the platform for the military escort to take the president's casket out of the out of the car, so two inches of leeway, and we hit it perfect.
3: Because I was right out in front of, mm-hmm. of the library. Okay. And and seeing what uh, and experiencing a state funeral firsthand, and understanding his service to his nation.
2: You know, I was really fortunate, uh, right place at the right time to be in the position I'm in, the job I'm in, the company I'm with, to be able to experience firsthand at College Station uh, the end of the train run. And uh, to be interacting with all the people who were there. Uh, it, wasn't, it was just people who wanted to see, wanted to honor President Bush, uh, the media, the, all the workers. It was really a uniting event for everyone.
3: So that was Tom Lang with Union Pacific Railroad. We also heard from Dr. Eric Rothenbuehler. He's the Dean of Webster University School of Communications. That's where Tom was. He's a grad, uh, alumni of Webster, which is in St. Louis. And uh, Tom was, was there talking, sharing photos. He shared a photo of, of President Bush when he was still alive. Uh, he got a chance to drive that train, run that train for a couple miles. President Bush did. President HW, yes.
0: So they actually, how do you do that? Well,
3: the be- because because again, Secret Service and all that. There, there's a lot of coordination, and they had to shut down a couple miles of the the line. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. But but then when they moved him from Spring, Spring, yeah, uh, near Houston, yes, to yeah. College Station, that was for his
3: final interment because th- both uh, President H. W. Bush and Mrs. Bush are. Are there with their daughter Robin? That's their final resting place, and this every part of it. This was, you know, I, I f- forgot to even mention. You know, there was thirty days of mourning, the, ho- the, the whole month of December when he passed. Was the nation it was thirty days yeah, of mourning, right? And so we talked about the train, but where I was in front of the library and museum, we were waiting. For For he and the rest of the procession, and they did a flyover this wow. was incredible I I, I I don't know how to describe it. It was the largest funeral flyover in the United States Navy history. Wow, and w- they they said it was like unprecedented, and they gave us a heads up uh, you know it's like okay, we, uh-huh. we think they're coming yeah. this way, you know. But you're you're talking about jets, <laughs> right? Well, twenty one FA eighteen Hornets.
0: 21? Twenty one, all flying information.
3: Yeah, Strike Fighter Wing Atlantic, and they would come in in uh, f- groups of four.
0: Oh, okay. So five groups of four over the
3: library. Or, no, and, and then
0: there's one more because that's that, twenty one.
3: That last one, yeah. was the missing man formation.
0: Oh! Oh! Got goosebumps. Same. Yeah.
3: And that jet, that missing man jet, pulled up right. Str- he pulled that jet straight up over the library and museum, and you could feel it. You could hear it. You could, it was awe-inspiring.
0: Wow. We waited for, I really didn't wait that long as much as other people did, but it was raining and cold and windy and everything, but you know, finally, and I got to take that video, so that was, to me, that's, you know, it's going to last a lifetime.
7: I spoke to him years and years ago, somewhere in Houston. Um, I taught driver's ed for a long time. And after he first moved back to Houston, we used to take, the, I used to take my driver's ed kids by his house before they put gates up. And then I saw him at Epicurean Market buying milk one day. So, you know, it's, I didn't know the man, but I just saw him a couple of times.
3: He seemed to kind of of
5: people.
7: Oh yeah, ab- absolutely.
5: I think he was a great president.
1: Uh, great character and I think that will be remembered uh, years down the line. Uh, it was amazing, there were,
2: people lined up um, on Texas Avenue yesterday and um, just to show their respects and I mean it's impressionable to our, our children and it's a, it's a part of history and to me it's, it's education that I wanted them to live through instead of just watching it on TV.
7: I'm not sure we thought Mrs. Bush would die first I, I, and now President Bush is, uh, was just uh, buried here at the library yesterday so we have both President and Mrs. Bush and their daughter Robin both buried here. So it, things will change, it'll be different. Um, uh, he, they've been a fixture here you know, at the library you know, between October and when they went to Maine in April or May for so many years that, um, you know, you'd see the dogs and then you knew they were here and they'd be over here at the library greeting visitors or we have program, programs and they'd be here for that and this will be this will be different, it'll take time to adjust to the fact that they're not here. And we saw the train yesterday and then we saw the Air Force, uh, the Navy planes and we were in a better position than the news because we got to see the guy go vertical, it was, it was pretty good. So that was nice. Uh, he was just a man's man. He did everything. I don't think I've ever heard a negative comment about him in my whole life, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud he's a Texan. So uh, both of them had a very active life, um, and then a very active post-presidential life. Uh, both Mrs. Bush and President Bush. They uh, literacy, hurricane tsunami relief, uh, cancer research. Um, and the president jumping out of airplanes. I think he showed a lot of people that uh, that um, even when you're older, you can still do things uh, Someone had a great line yesterday. I guess it was George W. Bush had a great line. Uh, It's good to die old young. And I think President Bush died old young.
3: So that was Warren Finch we heard from, the director of the George H.W. Bush Presidential Library and Museum. And some of the other people I heard from were just visitors that day that I ran into at the Library and Museum. You know, of, of interest, uh, I think it's interesting to note that the thing that got him into his his career, his life of public service, was was Pearl Harbor, December 7, 1941, a day right. that will live in infamy. Uh, President H.W., Bush was laid to rest on December seventh.
0: Wow. Yeah. No, that's that's another one that gets me goosebumps. Yeah. 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 yeah.
3: Well, and you think about the people of they who they were. They were uh, uh, best friends and 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 husband and wife for seventy three years.
0: It's quite an accomplishment. Yeah. And I remember there was, I can't remember where I heard it, but somebody had asked him what was the happiest time of his life because you've going through this, you know. Especially you going to the funerals of both of them within eight months. Yeah. And and then visiting the library and learning more and more about, as you do on these, these trips, about the each president that, you know, never knew anything about. But mm-hmm. I mean, somebody had asked him, George W., what was the happiest time of your life? You know, he lived to be 94. H-W. H.W. Lived to be 94. 94, Yes. He was a veteran. Mm-hmm. He was CIA director, mm-hmm. ambassador to China, president of the United States, yeah, vice, vice president, president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, drove oh. boats, jumped out of planes, yeah. was everything. And he, 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 he. They said that he said it was back right after him and Barbara got married, and he went to college. And yeah, I guess he lived on campus or something. And he was in the library, and he he was sitting there thinking about. Barbara and George, uh-huh. right? Because George, George was the oldest. W, yeah. Yeah. M- at home, you know. Well, he was he was there studying, making his way. You know, it was what was gonna take his life. You know, where was yeah. he gonna go? But that was the happiest he was through his life. The best part.
3: Those those young early years, when they were struggling, trying to right. figure out who they were, what yeah. they were doing, and, but know. the
0: start of their family, the start of their life together, and then she.
3: Would become, you know, she this distinction like Abigail Adams mm-hmm. being the only wife, or the only other wife and mother of a president besides uh, uh, Abigail John Quincy and John Quincy Adams. That's a that's
0: a big thing.
3: Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be witness to history and to be part of it.
0: Yeah, I can't even wrap your brain around that. Just yeah, m- wife and mother of the president.
3: It, it was incredible to see, and I, I highly recommend for anyone
0: to understand
3: their American history to get a glimpse of you know what part of the 20th century was during his tenure, dur- during his administration, and, and just the lives of both of those people that they live. You can see a little bit of everything there at the Library and Museum. It does a very nice job of paying tribute to both he and she. Uh, so I recommend a visit to College Station. I have to get down there sometime. Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We want to thank you so much for joining us. I'm Patrick Clark. And I'm Teresa Polly. We'll see you next time on Presidential Libraries, Museums, and More podcast.
2: the Tribune Audio Network.